example that I always like to use is polypropylene production in China. So you have an average carbon footprint around four kilograms of CO2 um, equivalent per kilogram, if I remember correctly. But the individual supplier carbon footprints, they range from one to 11. So there's a factor 10 in between. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is the Climate 21 podcast, the number one podcast showcasing best practices in climate emissions reductions. And I'm your host, Global Vice President for SAP, Tom Raftery. Climate 21 is the name of an initiative by SAP to allow our customers calculate, report, and reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. In this Climate 21 podcast, I will showcase best practices and thought leadership by SAP, by our customers, by our partners, and by our competitors, if they're game, in climate emissions reductions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app of choice to be sure you don't miss any episodes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Climate 21 podcast. My name is Tom Raftery with SAP, and with me on the show today, I have my special guest, Arna. Arna, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi everyone. I'm Anna Kittelen. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of Carbon Mines, and we're a data analytics company based in Cologne, and we provide environmental data for chemicals and plastics. Okay, superb. And, you know, this is the Climate 21 podcast, so uh, the reason we've invited Carbon Mines onto the podcast is because the data analytics you're running for the chemicals industry is particularly suited to climate emissions data. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. So um, climate, climate impacts are a huge part of it. Of course, an environmental assessment, it's not always only about the climate. So water, toxicities, um, eutrophication um, are other important impact category. But it's true, climate is probably the most pressing problem at the moment. And for for the foreseeable future, I, I got to think, I was looking today, the, the amount of CO2 as measured from Mauna Loa is at 419 parts per million, which is a record. It's This, this is a serious issue. Yeah. Anyway, tell me about carbon mines. I mean, you, you've given me kind of very high level, but what kind of data analytics and why is that important? Yeah. So basically, um, the companies um, who use our data, um, they use it for environmental assessment. So if we want to solve the climate problem, and I couldn't agree more with you that it's, it's such a pressing problem, um, we need to know how to do it. And um, this first step in this um, process is always understanding the status quo. Where are we now? Um, where does uh, do the emissions of, of my company or a certain product um, come from? And um, this is exactly um, where data is needed because these environmental assessments, they can be quite complex or intuitively when thinking about the um, climate impact um, of a specific company, people tend to look at the last production set. So they might look at the chimneys of this company and see how much CO2 is coming out of there. But reality is much more complex than these um, so-called direct emissions from a company. They are often only a, a tiny part of the climate impact, um, while the much bigger part, it comes from the supply chain, both and uh, up and downstream. So this depends on what resources um, or fossil resources have been used throughout the entire um, supply chain. Um, what are the production steps um, that gets you um, from the resources to the final product? 
all these production steps, they will need energy. They have direct emissions. They will need material. So as you can see, it's a, it's a huge amount of data um, that is needed there. But it doesn't even end there because it also depends on how products are used, um, how are they disposed of, can you recycle them. So um, in summer, we went understanding the climate impact or environmental impacts in general, it's important to look at, to, at the entire um, life cycle that only through this holistic view, you can really understand what are the entry points of renewable materials, renewable energy, um, how can you improve the entire system? Okay, and who are your customers? What, what are you, what problem, who are they and what problem are you solving for them? Yeah, um, that's a good point. So our focus is um, on the chemical industry and um, our customers, um, they are basically along the entire chemical value chain. It starts from um, oil and gas, because those are the main resources um, on which um, plastics and chemicals are built um, today. And of course, chemical industry itself, um, many of our clients, but also those companies um, who use um, chemicals in their products. So for example, one of our clients is one of the biggest and um, biggest high-tech um, company, um, because you also need a lot of polymers for, um, for computers, for phones and so on. And um, I think for these, um, these, these companies, they basically they have two problems. First of all, um, they don't necessarily know um, what their emissions are, where the emissions hotspots are. So often um, there are only a handful of products that dominate the entire climate impact. This is um, yeah, point one. And the second point is how can they improve it? Okay. And where does the data that you have, you know, where does it come from? Uh, how, how, how is the data set that you have different from, you know, me sticking my finger up in the air and going seven kilos? <laughs> yeah, I, I hope it's a bit more precise than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, where does it start? Um, it's a long story and it basically starts um, already six, seven years ago. Um, all of the co-founders of our companies, um, they were in academia at this point. So I was leading uh, a team for life cycle assessments. This is environmental assessment methodology um, at Aachen University. And um, we just often had the problem of data availability. So we wanted to find a um, nice solution on how to prove um, improve the climate performance of specific chemicals, um, but often we we just couldn't find the supply chain um, chain data. And if you think about this, it's a huge problem because if you if you don't have this data, you don't know how to improve it. So, what we did at this time is we um, that we started building our own model. So basically. We started building up the entire chemical um, supply chains from the oils through the refinery processes, through all the different different plants um, to do our analysis. And first, we just did it for scientific paper to solve the problems that we had at hand. But then we realized, well, it's basically um, yeah, a bottleneck for a lot of climate action also in industry. Um, so we started building these models um, bigger and bigger and combine also different data sources from technical data to um, trade data, um, market intelligence data, what, what production plans are used at what place in this world. And then basically this is the input data that we used for our, our model and we grew it over time until we spun it off to, to the company and this was when Common Minds was born. Okay, uh, if if I am 
someone who is somewhere on the chemical value chain, uh, so a potential customer of yours, and I am sourcing some chemical materials some from some factory that's maybe in China, for example, because lots of stuff is made in China these days, so why not? Uh, how do I then, through you, get the information I need or how do you get the information to give to me? I mean, they could be using utility X, they could be using process Y, you know, all these kind of factors come into f come into place to, to create the carbon footprint and the emissions implications of my purchase. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so there is um, one thing that the industry um, did for decades, and this is trying to understand um, the costs of their suppliers and of their competitors. And in order to understand the costs um, of these actors, um, you need information on the technology, the production capacities um, that they are running. Um, so this is information um, that is available and um, that can also be purchased from, from different sources. Um, but it's cost information. Mm. So I think the, the metric that we did is that we used this data, combined it with our technical um, modeling and, and the trade data in order to um, calculate emissions from us. So this is something the data was never intended for. Um, but some pieces of this puzzle were already out there. Um, but we had to put it together in this one model that is focused on emissions and not and not on costs anymore. Okay, but even even still, I mean, surely different processes in forming chemicals will have different emissions implications. And how do you get access to those kind of data? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we model them. Um, the time at university, um, we were at the Institute of Technical Thermodynamics, and thermodynamics it's it's always a buzzword for for complex models. Um, but um, what these um, groups are focused on um, was on um, process modeling. So we need to understand these these processes in detail, and um, this is where we got a lot of the techno technological um, knowledge that we needed in order to um, to understand the technical part. So in the end, you need to understand the technology that is used in a plant. Um, you need to know um, where the plant is. And, and um, so basically uh, um, the information, what technology um, we're looking at. And um, you need to understand how the plants are clustered because it makes a huge difference if a, if a plant gets um, its raw materials um, from plant A compared to plant plant B. And um, I think this is what we put together. Maybe to understand it a bit better is um, what was the status quo um, before this? Um, so what is used today a lot is country average data for environmental assessments. Um, so if you use, let's say, polypropylene, one of the major major plastics, um, what is often done is that you're, if you buy it from, let's say, Spain, and um, that you would use um, the country average um, carbon footprint of this material um, from Spain or from a specific technology um, for your accounting. But in reality, if you um, look at the different suppliers in Spain or in any country in the world, they might use really different technology, exactly as you, as you just said. And these technologies, they might use different raw materials and lead to completely different impact. So um, an example that I always like to use is polypropylene production in China. So you have an average um, carbon footprint, around four kilograms of CO2 um, equivalent per kilogram, if I remember correctly. But the individual supplier carbon footprints, they range from one to 11. So there's a factor 10 in between. 
between. Wow. Uh, so imagine what happens if you if you use the average for your assessment. But also imagine what a huge potential there is for impact reduction if you choose your suppliers wisely. And I think this is a yeah this is what um, keeps us going because we believe that um, this is how you can. Um, get data that is actionable in the sense that it um, helps you not only to document the problem, but it also gives you gives you steps towards the direction how to solve it. Yeah, no, that that's a very good point because there's going to be in the next eight and a half years initially, and then in the two decades after that, there's going to be massive pressure on countries and companies, organizations to reduce their carbon footprint. I mean, here in the EU, uh, the EU has passed into law legislation mandating that these 27 countries of the EU reduce their emissions 55 percent by 2030. So that's eight and a half years from today. You know, so that's a huge challenge. It's a really ambitious goal and it's passed into law. So there will be fines associated with not complying with that. So companies will need to be able to, first of all, measure and secondly, then reduce their carbon footprint. And to your point exactly, if you have the data from your suppliers or of your suppliers of the carbon implications of choosing supplier A over supplier B, I think the figures you gave a second ago were one kilo per kilo polypropylene versus 11 kilos per kilo polypropylene. I mean, that's an enormous saving right there in terms of emissions if that's what you're trying to reduce. So without that data, you, you don't know, but with that data, you can document and reduce your emissions, which is hugely, hugely yeah. significant. And if you think about it, um, isn't it a huge problem that um, those potential climate benefits, um, they are also hidden right now? So imagine you're the um, supplier um, with, a, with the best carbon footprint in a certain um, national market and no one can see it. Can see it. So um, it's a huge problem. So it's not only about pointing fingers of the, um, um, at the more polluting suppliers, it's also that benefits um, are currently hidden. And um, maybe what is important, those are also, um, I call them benefits now, and these differences they are among the technologies that are using fossil resources um, today. And um, so even in this fossil space, there are such huge differences. So no question that we need need to end up with renewable, but there are also um, also shorter term um, term options. So we calculated this in, um, for for all the chemicals that we looked at. In, on average, um, you can reduce um, about thirty. I think it was thirty eight percent of your carbon footprint by choosing the best supplier in your market. That's a long way towards that fifty five percent goal, right there. It won't be enough. Yeah, it won't be enough. But it's but it's, it's a long way towards it. It is. Yeah. No. That that's yeah. fantastic. It strikes me as well, though, that. If I am someone in that chemicals value chain who is going to you looking for advice on my suppliers that, you know, you could also help me reduce my processes carbon footprint as well. So, you know, it, it, it works both directions is, is, is what I'm trying to get at, I think. Is, is that correct? 
Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, I think what is tricky um, with emission reductions um, is, um, again, this uh, complexity of the supply chain. So um, if you want to use um, recycled material, um, it doesn't mean that the best entry point of this recycled material is your process. It could be your tier one supplier, so basically the one that you're buying your products from. Or it could be the supplier from this supplier called tier two or tier three or tier four. And um, I think by by having this full model of the supply chain, um, we can look into more integrated options. Also, how companies could work together um, in order to um, improve the carbon footprints um, together. Because imagine, um, like you start at the very beginning um, of the um, supply chain, chemical supply chain. It's it's often um, like cracking processes, and you um, manage to get um, recycled material or renewable material, bio-based CO two as renewable um, feedstock in there. Um, the benefits um, they propagate through the entire supply chain, and this is also an advantage. So um, it's funny when you when you I talked about um, polypropylene production in China. So some of the more polluting technologies are um, so-called yeah, technologies. Say they are based on coal, um, and they produce methanol and start from methanol to olefins. Don't want to use too many technical terms here, but what I want to say is um, that those are technologies. Um, which um, require hydrogen. Right. And um, hydrogen could be an entry point um, for renewable um, energy. So if you produce it from um, wind turbines, for example. And um, so by switching these supplies there, and I didn't do the calculation how much it would cost, to be honest, um, but it could be, it could be um, also a good entry point to improve the entire system. Okay, very good. Now, you are based very much in the chemicals industry. Are there other industries as well that you're thinking of branching out into or that you can help today? I think there are a lot of um, interconnections. Um, I recently listened to your podcast with Volker Zick, for example, who um, works on CO2 utilization. And um, there you often have the problem um, that you um, need renewable energy to um, make your processes run. And um, to understand these processes, you need to understand the energy sector. Mm. So it's very much interlinked. The energy sector would be something which is very close to us. Um, I think very important sectors that we um, didn't work with um, that much so far would be cement industry, um, would be steel. So basically the emission intensive industries. I mean, we are a rather young company now, so we can't do everything at once, at once but um, I hope that um, similar solutions um, um, will come up in the different sectors. Okay, that was something else I was going to ask as well. Uh, who Who's your competition in this space, if there is any? Are you market making or, or what? how does that work? Yeah, uh, of course, environmental assessment uh, have been done for quite a long time. The data that is available and that is used right now is exactly this country average data um, that I was talking about. And there are um, some databases and also some great databases um, out there. But I think uh, in terms of level of detail, so modeling on a supplier specific level, um, to my knowledge, we are the first and uh, so far only company um, who uh, does these calculations on a really large scale um, for the chemical industry. And Arna, can you speak to any customer examples that uh, you can you can talk to? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, which one shall I pick? Um, Let's take let's take this one company. Um, it's a, a huge polymer producer, and um, this company um, they use 
a lot of chemicals, of course, as feedstocks because they're not fully integrated to the to the refineries, and um, they. Um, are publishing their so-called scope three emissions and scope three emissions include those supply chain emissions um, that I was talking about and um, they're at the stage of um, using giving out the baseline so they are status quo right now but they know that they have targets for the future um, they want to reduce by x percent until 2030 and they want to continue reducing it um, by 2050. Um, so how we could help them is, um, first of all, um, giving a more realistic baseline. So not based on country average data, but based on their real supplier so that they that they know um, where their emission hotspots are um, today and where they are, they are doing quite um, quite fine compared to to um, the status of decarbonization we are, we are currently in. And I think going starting from this baseline, we offer the data um, where they see in perspective, like some concrete actions, how they um, how they can um, improve it. So for some products, they might have a huge mix of different suppliers and um, shift this entire mix um, towards a more um, sustainable one. In some other cases, they might have used the same supplier for decades now. So um, it's not always always that easy to change a supplier in this um, area, but um, but still with this, the data comes in um, as a basis for the discussion. Because if you have concrete data um, on the table where you can see what is possible, where the competition is, it's much easier to define um, to define targets. And I think this is a typical data-driven use case. Another one, I mean, it's, it's another company, but it's, it's um, different would be to start from this and to build scenarios on how the entire system could look like if it were renewable if it were based on CO2 as a renewable carbon feedstock, if it were um, based on recycled materials. And truth is, it's never only one or the others. It's always a mix. It <laughs> makes it more, more complicated to understand where the mix is. So where, where do you use what new technology and so on. Okay. So this could be yeah, basically in the data-driven use case and starting from this, um, yeah, like more the improvements, um, consulting-driven driven use case. And in the in the case that you referenced there, for example, where maybe you have a supplier for 10 or 20 years or something, and it turns out you discovered that they've got this enormous carbon footprint that you were unaware of, would it be possible then to potentially approach this supplier with suggestions on how and work with them to help them reduce their carbon footprint so that you are then reducing yours? Absolutely, absolutely. And um, those are these improvement options along the supply chain. So one step that I see quite a lot in the industry is, um, first of all, um, using renewable energy. For some processes, um, which use a lot of um, electricity, um, this, this might change a lot. Um, for some other processes, um, they run on gas and the electricity supply is not that important. But just as an example, we could show um, how this could change. But we could go further. We could could show um, what would happen if they um, use parts of renewable feedstocks, maybe themselves, or ask their supplier to do it um, for them, and so on. So basically, it's through this integrated view, you can better understand what the options are. And to be honest, sometimes the options um, are a mix of actions that you can take yourself, but actions that you need to do in collaboration along the entire supply chain. This is 
what makes it, I think, more complicated, mm -hmm. of course. Sure. But at the same time, there's also a lot of potential. I mean, if, if companies um, work together a bit more, if they share more data, what is needed in these cases, um, often you find some completely different potentials that you have, that you have never looked at before. So it can be, can be really beneficial, I think, for, in, for many dimensions. Very good. Very good. Okay, Arnett, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. Is there any question I've not asked that you wish I had? Or is there any aspect of this that we've not touched on that you think it's important for people to consider? That's a good question. <laughs> I was I was expected that you prepare the question. <laughs> maybe maybe questions that would be um, quite relevant is um, if someone is interested, um, how can they find us? <laughs> that was my next question. <laughs> oh, that sounds the next one. So that's done gone. So before this, I don't have any other question. <laughs> okay, so then we'll go on to the last question. If people want to know more about yourself, Arne, or about the company Carbon Mines, or any of the topics that we discussed today, where would you have me direct them? Yeah, I think an easy way would be, of course, our website. So carbon-minds.com. And there you also find direct and direct email addresses, which which go to me and to my my colleagues. And um, and the other way would be I have a strange name, so Anna Ketelin. If you if you find an Anna Ketelin somewhere on LinkedIn or Twitter, it's it's quite likely that you found me. <laughs> great, great, Arne, that's been fantastic. Thanks a million for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, we've come to the end of the show. Thanks everyone for listening. If you'd like to know more about Climate 21, feel free to drop me an email to tom.raftery at sap.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. If you liked the show, please don't forget to subscribe to it in your podcast application of choice to get new episodes as soon as they're published. Also, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It really does help new people to find the show. Thanks. Catch you all next time.